You're listening to Scalay Sisters, episode number 15. Welcome to Scalay Sisters, the podcast for the classical homeschooling mama who seeks to learn and grow while she's helping her children learn and grow. Scalay Sisters is a casual conversation about topics that matter to those of us in the trenches of classical homeschooling who yearn for something more than just checking boxes and getting it all done. I'm your host, Brandi Fensel. You can find me at Afterthoughts, that's my main blog, and also Teaching Reading with Bob Books, which is where I keep my line of printable phonics lessons. My co-host today is Misty Winkler. Misty is a second-generation homeschooler with five kids and a love for projects. She writes about feeding a family at Simplified Pantry, about homeschooling and homemaking at Simply Convivial, and about organizing attitudes at Simplified Organization. This episode is sponsored by Simplified Dinners. Simplified Dinners is not just another cookbook. It's a whole new way to think about dinner and everything it entails. Make the whole process simpler and less draining by shopping from the same list every time without fixing the same meals on an endless rotation. Real homemade food doesn't have to be complicated or expensive. Simplified Dinners will make it easy and, well, simple. Use the discount code SISTERS to get 20% off. Visit SimplifiedPantry.com to learn more. Today's show is all about thankfulness, and I have to say that I am extremely thankful for Misty. You see, we had recorded a different episode, but that recording had technical difficulties and we weren't able to use it. Misty was willing to do a special recording with me, and I'm thankful for her and that she was willing to do this so last minute. As I said, thankfulness is our theme today, and so it is. Misty and I first discussed the philosophy of thankfulness and the connections between gratitude and scalay. After that, we talk about all the long list of people and curricula and organizations that make us happily and gratefully classical. And so, without further ado, let's get to it. Right, so let's start off with our Scalay RDA. I know what you have. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, if we're going to talk about gratitude and Thanksgiving, I thought that I should talk about 1,000 Gifts by Ann Voskamp because she kind of wrote the book on it, <laughs> on making a gratitude list. <laughs> and I did enjoy the book. You know, I don't agree with everything in it, but I thought overall... Her point really was that you can have happiness and peace and joy, that kind of that teaching from rest state or scole state that we talk about, hmm. or she talks about it as joy, happiness, you know, the state of the soul that we're after. The way there is through Thanksgiving, which I think is biblical. Hmm. So if you can wade through some of the style, her overall point, I think, is really excellent and just hard hitting. It's changing the story that we're telling ourselves is a lot of what gratitude is doing. You know, when we're interpreting what's going on around us, gratitude is the practice that stops us from interpreting everything that's going on in a negative way, which is so easy to do. It's not like positive thinking, like putting a positive spin on it so much as acknowledging that this is from the hand of my father and he's going to use it for my good. Therefore, I can give thanks for it, even if I don't like right. it. Wow, that's a really beautiful 
<laughs> I've really put all of that together in my brain before. I love that. We'll just end there and we'll just go from you. But you know, it is it is all in module one of the simplified organization program. So <laughs> So if she wrote the book on it, you wrote the book. <laughs> I forgot about that. It's been long enough now since I did that module one that I forgot. Well, um, <clears throat> I'm not as deep and thoughtful as you, but <laughs> my favorite Thanksgiving book, I had to share it. And it's an old fashioned Thanksgiving and other stories by Louisa May Alcott. And it's a little teensy tiny book. It's almost a booklet. It's so small. I don't even know what the other stories are, to be honest with you, <laughs> because I've only just read Old Fashioned Thanksgiving. But for years, I haven't done it as much the last year or maybe two. I was trying to think about when I could fit it in this year, but I used to just forever on Thanksgiving morning, I would get up and I, it's quite long. It feels longer than a chapter of a book. Mm -hmm. like it's a really, I don't know. It's long. <laughs> <laughs> I might've taken an hour. I used to just read the whole thing to my kids on Thanksgiving morning. I started doing it because they were just so wild on Thanksgiving morning and I didn't know what else to do with them Yeah, because we were going somewhere else. So I didn't have tons of food to prepare. And usually I had done it the night before. And so I was just trying to keep everybody under control and it became my favorite thing. It's a typical Alcott story. The parents aren't at home and the kids try to make Thanksgiving themselves and there's funny parts and there's sad parts and there's, it's just really sweet and kind of brings back the spirit of a more traditional American Thanksgiving celebration. That's it's, nice. no football in it, for example. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's good. <laughs> I have never heard of that before. So that sounds like a great addition for... We usually take that whole week of Thanksgiving off, but to still have something related, but something to read together. Sounds perfect. Oh, yeah. And see, if you did it in little chunks all through the week instead of on Thanksgiving morning when you're desperate for crowd control... It wouldn't uh, take that long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I'm hosting Thanksgiving this year. So nothing, nothing like that is happening Thanksgiving oh, morning. Wow, yeah. <laughs> All right. So we'll move on to our topic. And I called it classically thankful. Or did you call it that? Did you put that in there? You must have. I didn't. It was a brilliant moment that I can't remember now. <laughs> or <laughs> thankfully classical. I don't Ooh. Can go both Ooh. ways. I, like <laughs> I might put it that way. I like that. So first, before we get into what we're thankful for, because what is a Thanksgiving episode without what we're thankful for? We will talk about the connection between thankfulness or gratitude and scolé. And I will let you lead off because you were already brilliant in the RDA. <laughs> and so I'm sure there is more to come here. <laughs> well, if we're talking about scolé or leisure as the state of rest, like this just mindset or state that we're in rather than the time where we carve out that's actually quiet and peaceful and contemplative because that's hard. Right. But I think the way that we get there is through gratitude. Hmm. That's one of the practices that we have to have in place for that to become a mindset. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Hmm. I think that really sums it up because this is saying, you know, we have anxiety 
and we want peace. Those are like the two extremes that we're talking about all the time when we're talking about the state of rest or scole. What we're trying to do is kind of shed that anxiety and move into the state of peace. And these two verses just kind of, they lay it out pretty clearly. <laughs> like, hmm. Pray about it with thanksgiving. I guess one of the things I've thought over the years is that thanksgiving isn't necessarily an unrelated list of being thankful for nice things. But like this is part of the prayer that you're making about what you're anxious about. Oh, wow. So when you're anxious, you're supposed to be asking God about, you know, making your supplication in this situation with thanksgiving. That means that there's something there that you could be thankful for. <laughs> and there is because God's in control. Right. Jesus reigns. So that right there means that we have something to be grateful for. We have salvation. So there always is something to be thankful for. And then we have that peace of God, which guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's not something we have to gin up. It's a gift that we're given. Hmm. <laughs> Sorry. You reminded me of a do – you, do you watch the Babylon Bee at all? Do you, like, keep tabs on that at all? I don't look at it, but I usually hear the best bits from my friend. Well, does she tell you about the one about the election? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Early election results are in. Christ still on his throne. <laughs> and as funny as that is, it actually reminded me of what you were saying, though, this idea that people are watching the, I mean, the election and biting their nails and really worried about everything. And I know our pastor on Facebook was like drawing the whole congregation back to, you know, American <laughs> politics is not your messiah. <laughs> you know, you could live under a dictatorship. Christ would still be on his throne. So <laughs> this is again, true. Good reminder. Well, I was trying to figure out how to contribute to this conversation. Um, so I started <laughs> um, I started going through Leech of the Basis of Culture just to try to see if I could find anything that I thought was really pertinent to this. And I was trying to connect the dots between Scalay and thankfulness. And so, of course, I went to the index and I thought, does he say anything about thankfulness? Because it's been long enough since I've read the book all the way through that I don't remember really specifically. And um, he really doesn't. But I think I made the connection anyway. In chapter five, he's talking about festival and he says the heart of leisure consists in festival. And then he goes through what he means by festival. So he says, in festival or celebration, all three conceptual elements come together as one, the relaxation, the effortlessness, the ascendancy of being at leisure or doing leisure over mere function. But if celebration and festival are the heart of leisure, then leisure would derive its innermost possibility and justification from the very source whence festival and celebration derive theirs. And this is worship. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite chapter. I'd forgotten how good it was. But, I mean, because he goes on and talks about like the fake festivals that are created in the French Revolution, the Brutus Festival and Labor Day and all these things and about how, you know, those things are not the same thing as a worship-based celebration. Holiday. So then yeah. I, right. A holy, holy day. day. <laughs> well, I think that's perfect because Thanksgiving is a holiday and it should be a worship-based holiday, even though it's it's not one celebrating the life of Christ, like Easter and Christmas, it's still a time that our country has set aside to recognize where our blessings and provision come from. 
as in we weren't giving thanks to the Indians, which seems to be a common uh, misconception <laughs> these days. The pilgrims said thank you to the Indians. And I'm like, no, no. not true. <laughs> I would not be surprised if they thanked God for the Indians who did help them survive a brutal winter. And said thank you to the Indians, but that wasn't the whole point. Yes, they were definitely being thankful to God, which we could read if we read the, the Thanksgiving Declaration. But anyway. You should link to that. Oh, that's a good idea. I'll look it up so you can find it. And then I was looking in Hebrews. And so Hebrews 13.5, for, thir- sorry, 13.15 says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, which would be worship, right? Mm-hmm. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. There's that tie between thankfulness and worship. So I felt like yeah. okay, I connected the dots. There you because, go. You know, if the heart of leisure is festival and the heart of festival is worship and then Thanksgiving is part of worship, then the heart of leisure is at least in part thankfulness. Yay. There you so go. We have drawn the circle close. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought it would be fun. I listed out a bunch of prompts because I thought it'd be fun to try to be thankful, like to practice being thankful. And this is a classical homeschooling, educational mom podcast. So I was trying to tailor it to our little niche. So our first thankfulness prompt is a person dead or alive (laughs) who provides classical inspiration. I don't know why dead or alive made me laugh, but it did. <laughs> but I think we both chose the live people. We both okay. picked live people. <laughs> but see, this way, in the comments, if someone wants to say what they are thankful for, yes. they can choose a dead person. It's okay. Yes. <laughs> we should put the prompts in the post. Oh, that's a good idea. So that everyone can share theirs. I would love that. We might get like a whole new book list. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what we need to spend more money on books right before Christmas. Yeah. <clears throat> So mine is Karen Glass because Woo-hoo. I think that she she's Karen Glass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because she's read so much. <laughs> oh, you are not kidding. I mean, she has read not only Charlotte Mason, but she's read what Charlotte Mason read. She read what Charlotte Mason recommended her students read, her teachers read. She's read within the classical tradition and so She has a very informed, well-read, thorough opinion about education. I have not read that much, not nearly, but I've just kind of dabbled in different time periods. And you just see that these same themes have always been around from the time people started talking about education. I think that her book, Consider This, just really gets to the heart of what classical education is and what Charlotte Mason was doing when she put forward her philosophy of education. Yeah, she really is one of the most well-read, if not the most well-read person I've ever met. I mean, it's impressive. (laughs) It's so amazing. And she did a lot of this reading before there was really a robust internet. In a foreign country, right? Right. Yeah. yeah, just to make it that much easier in a non-English speaking country. <laughs> but really, I mean, I do think she did some of her reading online, but even then, I mean, back when she started, I'm sure it was a lot harder to track that down. It wasn't like now where you go into Google and you're like, you know, show me every online copy of Quintilian or whatever, mm-hmm. and you get that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I bet it wasn't quite as easy as it is now. She did it before Google. Yes. Okay. 
And your turn? Mine is Cindy Rollins. It's funny because my list was Cindy Rollins and Karen Glass. And I just thought, well, if she chooses Karen Glass, I'll choose Cindy Rollins. And if she So Cindy Rollins, I feel so indebted to her. Mm-hmm. I mean, she is the first person who mentioned the classical tradition to me. She's the first person who mentioned Charlotte Mason to me. I mean, to me, like she's talking to me personally <laughs> on her blog, which I was reading. I felt like it was personal, like she wrote me a private email, but she didn't. Um, (laughs) And I think she really, more than anything, was the first person who got me reading any of this stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, she would mention a book and I would ask for it for my birthday or for Christmas. And so, you know, I have this huge shelf now full of pedagogy and classical education and educational philosophy. And I mean, all this stuff is all this huge shelf. And I would say, you know, like 90% of the titles on that shelf, I first heard of from her. Mm -hmm. All those books have been so forming for me. So I'm so grateful for her. And she continues to provide inspiration because now she has the maturity of having graduated so many students and all of that. Mm -hmm. And so it's inspiration on another level, like the comfort of... (laughs) all comes out okay in the end. It's a different type of inspiration in regard to what we're doing, but it's needed, I think. It's a needed encouragement. It is. Well, we're going to talk about books next. And I wouldn't have read any of these books if it weren't for Cindy saying, we're going to read this book. And I said, I'm going to do it. But yeah, because when I started homeschooling, I was interested in classical education. And at that time, 14 years ago or 15 years ago, classical education meant Dorothy Sayers trivium is ages and stages. And I had just never heard that there was any other, like that's what classical was, period. Yeah, it was 100 years old, right? (laughs) (laughs) Very classical. (laughs) That's like an ancient thing, right? (laughs) Early 1900s. So I think following Cindy Rollins' blog was encouraging just from a having someone farther ahead on the road who was talking about education philosophy, which was hard to find. And I don't even know if I would have gotten out of that definition of classical. She was my avenue out of that narrow definition of classical. She really brought open the door and broadened the room that I found my feet. I never would have opened up Charlotte Mason if it hadn't been for Cindy continually. Going back to her, and I was like, okay, fine. (laughs) I resisted for a long time. I remember. (laughs) Actually, that's another reason to be thankful for Cindy, because we met in the comments of one of her blog posts. We would not be friends without Cindy. Yeah. And there'd be no Scalay Sisters podcast, so there we go. (laughs) Well, a book that changed your life. It's the next one. Norms and Nobility which I only heard about from Cindy. And Mm -hmm. I read it because she was doing a book club on it. Yes. I think that was the door for me into the rich tradition of what classical education meant throughout history Mm. and that it was much bigger than a few different practices, that it was this whole different mind. Yeah. You talk about Cindy pulling us out of the Dorothy Sayers definition of the trivium stages and all that kind of stuff. It's actually what I've always appreciated about Cindy was that she pulled us out, but not like through her preaching at us. 
Yeah. <laughs> but but leading the way and reading good books and respecting our minds enough to let us come to our own conclusions. Yeah. That's how she did it. Norms and Nobility, Poetic Knowledge, which is my book that I'll get into in a minute. But I mean, getting us reading changed everything. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yours is Poetic Knowledge. You read Poetic Knowledge before Norms, right? I did. I read Norms first and then Poetic Knowledge. Yes. And I have often speculated that probably the reason why Poetic Knowledge is my favorite book ever is because I read it first. It just changed my life so much or my thinking so much. And so when I read Norms and Nobility, even though the books aren't about the same thing, the spirits of the books, I think, are very similar. And so Norms and Nobility wasn't quite as life-changing for me only because I had encountered some of the ideas before, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. You'd already had – If I had read them in – Yeah. If I had read them in reverse order, it might have been the reverse order of my favorite book and my second favorite book. (laughs) Yeah. I agree. I think so. And two, these all kind of tie together, but I remember – Then when I first read Consider This by Karen Glass, I remember thinking this would have been so much better to read before I read Poetic Knowledge. Her chapter on synthetic understanding, to me, just said it so succinctly and so clearly that I was like, this is what I was struggling with all through Poetic Knowledge. And she just lays it out. This is Poetic Knowledge in a chapter. (laughs) Right. It's true. Instead of a whole book. (laughs) It's true. She did do an excellent job. So poetic knowledge for me, it showed me what Charlotte Mason really meant about some of those things, like synthetic knowledge, like the importance of holes, like the places where she attacks analytic learning at early ages, Mm -hmm. why she wanted people to people, people to be outside, but children especially to be outside for so many hours. I mean, there were so many things I was accepting kind of on blind faith. You know, Mm -hmm. like I do have a deep respect for her. She makes sense to me in other areas. So I'm going to accept that she's probably right about this too. But in my brain, I wasn't so sure. Yeah. And poetic knowledge, I felt like all the light bulbs went off or on. They they went on. (laughs) (laughs) That's how electricity works. (laughs) And so so when I would go back to read parts of her books after that, I was like, oh, this makes so much more sense to me. I think some of it was even not so much what he said, but the examples that he gave. I always remember the boy who had trouble understanding certain parts of physics and math. And then after working with levers and certain sorts of things in um, farm work, then everything started to connect in his brain. So seeing it happen in reverse, somehow using his physical body helped right. him understand something more abstract, those kinds of connections. I wasn't making because Charlotte Mason didn't give me an example. Right. She just said it in a philosophical way, which she's pretty good with examples, but she doesn't give examples of every single thing. And the places where I was having kind of a breakdown were the places where those were missing. Yeah. Super helpful book. Indebted to it forever. (laughs) And I said it was my favorite book one time on my blog. And Mm -hmm. James Taylor wrote me an email and thanked me for loving his book. Wow. And I about pulled (laughs) over and died. I wrote him back and I still am not sure that what I said was even coherent because I was high as a kite. So so he's not my pen pal, probably because my email wasn't that great. But anyhow, I just had to brag a little bit because I was so excited. Anyhow. So our next one, a practice that saved your homeschool. How could it be anything other than morning time? Right. Yeah. (laughs) It's true. 
Yep. I think for me, the thing in morning time that if we say saved our homeschool, and this was surprising to me, I think it's singing during morning time, actually. Hmm. We always included singing from the very beginning, uh, mainly because I wanted my kids to know some of the hymns that we sing regularly at church so they could participate. So that was my reason for what I chose, and we would learn them, and it was great, and it is great. But what I found, you know, years down the road and continuing that singing practice is that you really can't be grumpy and sing hymns at the same time. (laughs) And so singing saves our homeschool day so often. (laughs) That is such a good point. And sometimes I don't even realize that I'm grumpy. Until it's time to start singing, and I realize I don't want to. (laughs) You just want to hold on to your grumpiness a little bit longer. (laughs) But it's something to do. It's like, no, I got to let it go. We're going to do this thing. Yeah, I would say that singing during morning time, because it's the first thing, saves our homeschool day. Oh, yeah. I hear you. I mean, mine's the same, only I call it circle time. Because if I call it morning time, I feel like I'm committing to a certain time of day, and that freaks me out. Even though we do it (laughs) at the same time of day and have for like seven years. It doesn't matter (laughs) if I want to change it. Circle time is flexible in time. So (laughs) I called it circle time for a long time too. But you know, what always bothered me is we were never in a circle. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Well, I guess I thought of it as circle as in like circling the wagons. Oh, nice. All the wagons are there. There you go. It's like, this is like rectangle time. And that doesn't yeah, sound really. good. <laughs> I had a friend that called it like oval time. Like, I don't know. It sounded like that Oval teen. <laughs> yes, exactly. More oval teen, please. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so true. For me, okay, so circle time, we started doing a more robust circle time. Our second year of homeschooling, it was maybe like halfway through or something that I decided to do this. But as you know, at the end of our first year of homeschooling, my husband ended up in the hospital and almost died. And that's a very long story. But what I realized in that was all the circle time type things that we had done before that. My kids were very young. I mean, my youngest was 10 months old when this happened. And my oldest was what? He had just turned seven. So they were all really young. But we had done some little memory verses and we had done some hymns and that was what our comfort was while he was in the hospital and all these things because he was in the hospital for almost a month. And that's what we would sing. That's what we would recite to ourselves in the evening. And I realized at that time, you know, if we don't teach our children things before we need them, they're not there when we need them. Yeah. So all we had to draw on were the things that we already knew because nothing else was going to get in during a time that stressful. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because they were little, I had thought, well, it wasn't really important to have a real circle time. And I mean, we did. We did some singing and we did, but it was very small and very informal. And so about halfway through our second year, I realized what the small version had done for us. And so I made sure that it became a daily practice and that I was always organized with new things to be putting into the memory. And so I include our hymns and our folk songs as quote unquote memory work. It's all in one binder. Keep it all together. And mm-hmm. and so I always think for me, I mean, circle time is fantastic and I love all of it, but I do feel like as far as actually saving our homeschool, yeah. I feel like it's the memory work part that has done that because that's what's there when we walk away. That's beautiful. If that makes sense. Yeah. So, Okay. So our next prompt then 
is a principle that revolutionized your lessons or your thinking. And for those of you who are going to participate in the comments of the post that goes with this, it's going to be really open-ended, a principle that's really benefited your family in some way. I had a hard time choosing one or picking one principle. Mm. I was thinking, you know, between education is for virtue, like that's our goal of education, if that counts as a principle. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then thinking through Charlotte Mason's 20 principles, education is a life. But I think those two are really similar or tied together. Mm. Yeah. And looking back over my own journey in educational philosophy and what how we've done homeschooling or just how I've thought about what we're doing. Early on, I called us classical unschoolers. <laughs> <laughs> Throw tomatoes. (laughs) (laughs) I think what I was trying to get at was that we were classical. Like I thought that what we studied mattered. And to me, that meant classical. Right. And then it wasn't like we're marching through all this material, just get through so much in a day. Or that means that we're starting with drills at five years old. Right. I picked unschooling as the relaxed lifestyle. Like this is just a part of life is what I wanted to go for. So I had that in my head and I was not expressing it well (laughs) or accurately, Mm -hmm. but I had this vague idea that what we studied mattered and how we studied it mattered. That just developed over time as I realized that that's always been the classical mindset, both of those things together. Mm And I think Charlotte Mason talks about it in terms of education as a life where it's life giving. So what you study does matter because that's what really enlivens you and gives you those connections. You can think when you've had your feet set in this broad place. Right. Do you think that the unschooly part was also your early search for school A or the restfulness aspect? Was that part of it also that you wanted it to be more casual or yes or yes yeah I didn't want it to seem classroomy or intense in that rigorous kind of grad grind way which it seemed like if I said classical that's what people imagined and so I I wanted to pair it with something that said not that (laughs) right classical but not that classical (laughs) (laughs) but then unschool is like it doesn't matter what you read so then they don't actually go together but (laughs) Right. But you did do, I mean, I remember you talking about strewing, which I know is typically an unschooling technique or practice or whatever. Right. Which I think strewing is a brilliant idea. So yeah, I think there are a lot of people who take that unschool or relaxed schooling label because that's what they're looking for. You know, not because they don't think that what you read matters or that kids are going to do the right thing without any guidance which is the extreme of that label. Right. I think that the draw of that label is just that, you know what, we do this because we like it. (laughs) Yeah. And it seems like that is the group kind of saying that we actually like living this way, you know, and this is just a part of our life. And we don't want it to seem like this separate chunked off part of our day. You know, that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that, that the unschoolers have embraced uh, the joy part of it. Yeah, I think so. Something to think about. Um, So my principle, I think this is funny because (laughs) I tend to be the Charlotte Mason person, but you chose a Charlotte Mason principle and I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) 
So mine comes from John Hodges, or at least that's who I heard it from. I don't know if he got it from someone else, but he says this a lot. And that is that exposure breeds taste. And I think the reason why this was uh, so revolutionary for me was because it gave me the long haul view of things. I think before I just wanted to present my children with something that was good, true and or beautiful, and they should just like it because mm-hmm. it's good, true and or beautiful, the end. And mm-hmm. so then I would be frustrated because they were not interested or they were more interested in something else or they thought they didn't like it or whatever. And, you know, kids will reject things uh, that are good for them. Mm -hmm. And I would get upset. And I mean, in my early homeschooling, I think I was also more emotional, I guess. And so like, I would be almost brought tears over it, you know, like I'm going to fail at all of this because they don't like, you know, whatever it was. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so him saying exposure breeds taste, I just thought, you know, if they don't like their dinner, I don't get offended because I remember not liking my mom's food and yet I grew up to eat normal food. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't a lifelong handicap for me. It just changed everything that I could just say, you know what, they're children. They don't always love what is lovely, but the exposure over time, just like I hated salad as a child, but managed to eat salad as an adult because I was given it in doses throughout my childhood at home. It became kind of like a food metaphor for me. Yeah. Just this idea that, you know, we can give these things in bits and pieces and I don't know when it will bear fruit and it's okay because we're just developing taste. Yeah. I think the food metaphor is really relevant one because I think it pairs with the opposite of exposure breeds taste as well. For exposure to breed taste, that means you are exposing them to what is true, good, and beautiful over and over and over and over again. There's that exposure. But then they're also going to have a taste for what they've been exposed to over and over and over again. So it's kind of the principle that I think of too when I look at, are my kids rejecting things because they've been having too much screen time or too much outside of the house time? Like they're distracted or they're wanting these other things It's the same with food. If we just gave them crackers and candy all the time, there's no way they'll ever want to have a normal dinner. Right. They've had too much of what's easy. And it's not that you never have crackers or candy, but the good food has to outweigh the junk food for them to have a good taste. I actually wrote about this. I can't remember what post it was, but in the last couple of weeks, my own personal theory is that we all kind of have a need for story inside of ourselves. Mm Mm-hmm. That can be, if it's like a little well, (laughs) it can be filled to capacity by things like movies and television shows and cartoons and all that kind of stuff if we're not careful. I think that's why the limiting or even eliminating in extreme cases of screen time can sometimes cause children to gain a taste for reading. Mm -hmm. Now their need for story isn't being filled up by those other things. And so then the story a book offers, even though it's maybe more difficult to get to than, you know, how a movie is just so accessible to anybody with eyeballs. Yeah. I think that maybe that's the way it works is because, yes, as their exposure to other forms of story, so like visual forms of story go down, then there's a chance for them to have a taste for the other story. Yeah, They've been eating less ice cream. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So now they have a hunger for something else. (laughs) Anyway, good point. Uh, Next one. A curriculum you love. What's a curriculum you're thankful for? I think it would have to be Matthew C. 
because I am not a math person and Matthew C. has made it possible for my children to do well in math, (laughs) despite my inability. And actually, I have worked through the first grade book four times now, and I think that my math is improving also. Ooh, that's nice. I actually know my math facts pretty well now. (laughs) (laughs) It only took 30-something years. (laughs) That's awesome. I love Matthew C. I love their approach and their philosophy. I like that the books are not graded, you know, on grade level. And I like that they are set up for mastery and not for, oh, you got to see, you can pass and keep going. Because I think that's one thing that hindered my own math progress was just passing on because I did well enough, but I actually didn't understand at all. Mm -hmm. And so by the time I got halfway into Algebra 2, I had no idea where I was (laughs) or how to get out or how to go on or anything. So Matthew C., I just really love the approach and I love that they are video lessons. So the video... Mr. Demi makes jokes and can repeat himself endlessly without losing his sense of humor. It's wonderful. (laughs) You mean you lose your sense of humor, Misty? Oh, yeah. (laughs) So I love Matthew C. I think I know what you love. Yeah, I'm sure you're (laughs) (laughs) So mine's Ambleside. (laughs) I was actually thinking, though, about one thing that I've become thankful for in the last year that wasn't there before. I had this memory. All of a sudden, I had forgotten. But when we first started AO, I think it only went up through sixth grade, maybe eighth grade. But I remember when we started thinking, well, I have no idea what we're going to do in the upper school years, but I guess we'll just cross that bridge when we come to it because I really liked the book list. I mean, I just remember looking at the curriculum and thinking, this is what I would have just eaten up as a child. I would have loved this. And so I wanted to give my children what I knew I would have loved. But I was nervous that I didn't know what direction to go in when they were older. So then I guess it was a couple years in and, you know, they add seventh grade and then a couple more years and they add eighth grade. And anyhow, so over the past few years, now they're up to year 12. They've got a complete curriculum and they've done it far enough ahead of my child, (laughs) that it's actually gone through a few years of testing where they've gotten feedback from parents. You know, I mean, everything from you assigned these page numbers, but that was actually wrong to, are you really sure you want to use this or whatever? But all the little things, all the big things, everything's been tested. You know, he's not even being a guinea pig for this. Yeah. (laughs) And so... Because they kept adding years, I had forgotten that there was a time where I thought, well, what am I going to do for junior high? What am I going to do for high school? So I'm extra thankful just because high school is going so well um, so far. I mean, we're only a few months in, but it's just so nice to not have to change and learn how to do another curriculum because every curriculum has its own personality Mm -hmm. and its own learning curve for learning how to use it. It's really nice that I don't have to conquer any of those barriers. We can just go on to the next awesome book and I don't have to figure out how to do things differently. Yeah. I'm very grateful that they have <laughs> <No. laughs> Okay, our last prompt is an organization you are indebted to. Okay, how about you go first on this one? <laughs> so I called Cersei. <laughs> I, Cersei. <laughs> I think they should go first. <laughs> oh, I just love Cersei. I really do. I feel like back when we first started, you know, there were like five homeschooling blogs. 
So that's why I think a lot of moms our age that were reading blogs back then, they all have Cindy in common. Mm-hmm. And of course, Cindy introduced us to Cersei. Mm-hmm. But, oh, I just remember how I would save up all my nickels and dimes to buy the audio yes. for their conference. And it was just this glorious learning experience. And some of it was schooly, and we were homeschoolers, and so it was different. But it was like this whole world opened up to me. And this was before they did Lost Tools of Writing or anything. So I just was so thankful for their conference stuff. And then later they added a blog and a lot of those posts are really wonderful. And now I'm using Lost Tools of Writing with my oldest. And that's amazing also. So it's been fun to watch them grow up as an organization Mm -hmm. also because they were pretty small and new when we first were learning about them. And But anyhow, I'm so thankful for them and what they've contributed to even my understanding of what makes a curriculum or an educational philosophy truly Christian. Oh, yeah, that's true. They've really developed my theology in those areas, and I'm very grateful for that. Well, yeah, back to you know when I was just starting out or had barely started out, and I was very drawn to classical, and the resources that I found out there were the ACCS teacher training audio so I listened to a bunch of those early on, which are very much usually schooly. Right. I still have some favorites that are ACCS, but when Cindy yeah. told us about Circe, I was like, oh, well, classical, you know, I'm, I'm over there. <laughs> and the audio from their conferences that they had, it was like, okay, now here is the audio for Norms and Nobility <laughs> and actually doing it. Seriously. And yes. it was wonderful and life-changing. So I think they have done a lot because their vision of classical and their definition of classical is beautiful. And like John Hodges with the Exposure Breeds Taste, the only reason that we heard that was because of Circe Audio. Very true. So do you have an organization for us or are you just going to hijack Circe? (laughs) (laughs) Because Circe's mine. I I double (laughs) down on Circe. But um (laughs) Classical Academic Press also has done a lot of work for putting forward that conversation of what is classical. And classical is not just ages and stages. And I mean, scole is a very important word Mm -hmm. to Christopher Perrin and in their organization. And so I'm very grateful that they have been pushing that conversation forward and that the demeanor that we educate with just like our attitude and demeanor and mindset in how we do classical education matters just as much as what we're doing. And I think that's kind of what the Scole conversation really brings to the forefront. Yeah. Good point. I know I'm very grateful for his, the series that he did on the Latin mottos. Yes. Which I know you even reflected on those in a series of blog posts. Yeah. But getting us thinking bigger than, yeah, the ages and stages was really helpful. Mm Mm-hmm. So should we move on to our nitty-gritty homeschool question? I think we should. All right. In keeping with our topic today, we're going to ask the question of how do you foster gratitude in your homeschool? All right. You have a story to tell. So I think you should go first. Yeah. (laughs) Well, to protect the guilty, I won't identify the child. (laughs) But I had a child that was extremely negative and... I didn't know what to do about it. And eventually it connected in my brain. And I do think actually I have Ann Voskamp to thank for this 
Because even though I've never read her book, I think I was exposed to people who were blogging based upon their reading of the book. Mm -hmm. Somehow it connected in my brain that negativity and gratitude just really don't coexist. Right. And so you can use one to replace the other. I started keeping sort of like a gratitude journal with this child. Or um, at one point, I like I lost the journal and I was like, how can I make this easier? Because now if I have to find a pa- my paper and I have to find my pet, I mean, you, yeah. I mean it's oh, like, yeah. those are the barriers to entry yeah. to keeping the habit. But then we started just doing it at lunch around the table. Like we would sit down at lunch and everyone just had to say what they were thankful for. And this particular child was so negative that, I mean, it would be things like toothpaste, you know, like, <laughs> like with a frown, you know, like. so it took a long time. But eventually, all those silly things, I didn't allow a repeat, basically. You couldn't say every day you're thankful for your mom. You couldn't say every day you're thankful for toothpaste or whatever. And so eventually, all the easy ones ran out. Mm -hmm. The easiest way, I think, to be gratitude when you're trying to build a list like that is to think about something in this day. What happened today that I'm thankful for? Mm -hmm. Because you run out of all the listy stuff. Right. So once we crossed over into that territory slowly I saw changes. And then when it got a little bit better, I was even able to have a discussion with this child about this is a problem. And this is why we're doing our thankfulness, because I think it will help you. Anyway, totally changed things. Negativity is a struggle for some people more than others. Mm -hmm. Just generally like personality maybe or something, but I see a huge change now. And I see the ability to repent Mm. all, all by, I'm like, I'm trying not to identify this person. (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, Anyway, (laughs) so now the recognition that the negativity is wrong and that gratitude is the solution, it kind of laid the foundation for being able to repent. Yeah. You know, by yourself without help from others on the outside and That's huge. Yeah. I mean, there are other things that we have done, but that was the thing where it actually changed the atmosphere of our home because anytime you have a really negative person around all the time, Mm -hmm. just sucks the energy. It's like Eeyore showing up and ruining the party. (laughs) (laughs) Like there's like a little rain cloud following everybody around and raining on everybody's parade. And, you know, so it was really. I don't want to address those things because of the practical benefits. You know, I mean, I can want to address it because it's a heart problem. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, there were some huge just daily life practical benefits to that turning around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. So the practice of being thankful out loud in front of everyone was huge for us. Yeah, out loud. I think that is helpful. I was trying to think because we've done things like the gratefulness tree during Thanksgiving week where you write down things you're thankful Mm. for on leaves and hang them up and things like that. For a little while during morning time, we would pass around a sheet of paper where I'd printed on the top, I'm thankful for, and everyone had to add to it. It wouldn't get passed around the table while we were doing morning time. So that was like the Mm -hmm. what they were coloring or whatever. And they could draw or write, you know, the three-year-old added scribbles. You know, it was so cute. But we didn't keep that up for too long just because I'm bad at things like that. But oh, yeah, I hear you. So I was trying to think, and I think the thing that's been most helpful for us has been that we start morning time with prayer and we go around the table and everyone has pretty much has to. I've let off grumpy people (laughs) 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 or told, dismissed them from the table because. 
Right. Better to not pray than to uh, have a super hypocritical prayer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lord, please help all these people around me who are big jerks. (laughs) (laughs) Which is something I had to run myself of before we start. But but I don't even remember how – I think that when the older few were young and that we were just starting this as a habit, I told them that, you know, you start off by – uh, thanking God for things that you're thankful for. Mm-hmm. Or I would, they would just repeat after me a prayer if they weren't comfortable. And I would just list off things that I knew they were thankful for. And so it was pretty much a thankfulness prayer more than a asking God for things prayer, hmm. which is kind of what I wanted. <laughs> that, you know, yeah. I wanted that to be more of the habit than having prayer be asking God for things. Not that that's, yeah. you know, that's fine, but usually they would ask God for things that might not necessarily be God's will, you know, like they would get candy after every meal today or no, no, I can tell you right now that is not God's will for your day right now. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love that they thought of that. Just then, then I think it just becomes the family pattern because the oldest got into that habit. And then I never, I don't remember ever really teaching it to the youngers, but they've just grown up in this morning time habit. And as soon Mm -hmm. as they can do it themselves or want to do it themselves, that's just how they, how they do their prayer in the morning is, you know, dear God, thank you for mom and dad and my brothers and sisters. And and then they'll usually think of a few things themselves, but um, I think that's huge. And (laughs) what's really cute right now is that my youngest who just turned four, if she does have a request, she says her requests by saying thank you. Like they've already happened. <laughs> so she's like, oh, that is claiming sweet. it. <laughs> I think that's a different denomination. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't. Yeah. She says, and thank you. We will have a good day. <laughs> that is so sweet. I love it. Oh, so. I think just that habit of little gratitude prayers to start the day off has been huge without me even realizing it. Well, and again, that's interesting that we both chose something uh, that was out loud. Yeah, that's, yeah. Where others can hear it. Hmm. I will say negativity is very loud. Like people don't usually keep that to themselves. That's true. Okay, here's another. Oh, yeah. This is more like, so me, I'll say this example. Yesterday, I was having a grumpy day and... uh <laughs> We were on our way to a nature walk with friends, and I'd already kind of snapped at the kids and had to ask forgiveness and probably should have asked more than I even did. But then I had Voxer messages from you guys. Okay, let's do one on Thanksgiving. I was there listening in the car and like, all my kids are hearing this. And I'm sure they're thinking, Mom, you're going to do one about how thankfulness helps you when you have a bad attitude. Seriously? That's so, I mean, I mean, my my 13-year-old son was sitting next to me, and that's what I would have been thinking when I was 13. <laughs> so, after listening to this, yeah, so, you know, guys, when you're really feeling grumpy and, like, nothing is going your way, you know, you can find something to be grateful for. <laughs> and then I... I did, out loud. I told him I was thankful we had friends that we were meeting up with. I was thankful that the weather was good enough that we could get out. And and it helped. It helped a lot. Mm -hmm. 
you know, it was embarrassing and it was awkward. And to just plow through that awkwardness and just say, yeah, you know what? That is a strategy. And you know, and I know that we, that I need it. <laughs> so I'm going to do it <laughs> out loud in front of even the kids. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Everybody in the so. room says, amen. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for sending me messages on that I need to be thankful yesterday. Yeah, you're welcome. It's my job to convict you. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of funny, though, because a couple of your messages, I was like, she's not happy about this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh. Well, thank you for showing up to be thankful with me. <laughs> well, you know what? Sleep helps. <laughs> Amen. What you know, Charlotte Mason says that, you know, sometimes it would be good for everybody if the mother just went out to play. Yes. But she also says, or spends a day in bed without the children. <laughs> I'm like, there's a reason for that. <laughs> she might not have had kids, but she knew. <laughs> yes. She was aware of what they're like. <laughs> well. Thank you very much for showing up and being thankful with me. Yeah, this is a good idea. It was. We can thank Pam for the idea because it wasn't oh, mine. Well, there you go. We'll thank Pam even though she couldn't show up. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of the sisterhood of the podcast. If you are thankful for this podcast, and we know you are, one way to show your gratitude is to leave a review. We love reading them, and it helps others find out about our show. Also, don't forget to join our forum. You can go to scalaysisters.com slash join to find out more about it. And if you are already a member, please drop on by and participate. Our next episode will be our final episode of the year, and it's going to be about Christmas. How does our pursuit of scalay, of rest, intersect with the busyness of the holidays? Should we minimize the celebration to keep our sanity? It's going to be a great discussion. Until then, we want to remind you once again that homeschooling is a marathon you needn't run alone. So open up your eyes and look around you. Find your sisters. Niche or niche, as some people say. <clears throat> which, do, which do you say, Misty? I try not to say it at all. <laughs> Out of fear. Yes. We might be wrong. <laughs>